I love Peterborough. I just want to start this episode of the OHL podcast with that declaration. It's a great city. It's got great history for that junior hockey team. If I had a complaint, they even had popcorn in the media room again today. I'm just back from the game, Rangers and Pete's. It was all terrific. The people are so nice. The history in that building. Oh, my goodness. The coaches, you think back on all of them, Scotty Bowman and Roger Nielsen and Gary Green and Dick Todd and the players. You got Pronger, you got Iserman, you got Ricci. I could list them all. It's just, it's fantastic. One complaint. If I had one complaint about my trip to Peterborough this Family Day weekend, the hell is with those black jerseys? You're killing me, Peterborough. You're killing me. Maroon and white for life. That's all I got to say. I generally kind of feel that way about their jerseys in general, just 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 because there's a lot of tradition in these jerseys. And when you see a team once or twice a year, you kind of want to see those classics, right? Uh, but I'm with you on Peterborough, the Eastern Ontario as you know, most of my family's Eastern Ontario, a lot of family in the Peterborough area as well. And what a great town, what a great city. Um, so yeah, but those, those are classic maroon, right? You want to see those. It was a great experience from beginning to end. Everybody was just terrific in that building. Kudos to the organization for the way they're running things. It's a great experience in-game, in-house for the fans. Lots of Rangers fans made the trip. I love seeing visiting fans in other buildings. And they had an almost full house for a family day game in Peterborough for a team that is absolutely in the midst of a rebuild. So it was a great sign all around. And a nine-game family day slate for the Ontario Hockey League. The league certainly knows how to capitalize on the long weekend gifted them by uh, the previous Ontario government here. Anyway, let's dive into things. That guy over there, as you know, is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at his name, Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. Email address, you keep using it, and we love to hear from you. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Dan, I think the big question as we enter this new week of the Ontario Hockey League is whether or not the Sudbury Wolves showed us all who they were this past weekend with a 6-3 win over the Saginaw Spirit. I think there's reason to believe this was an OHL championship preview and the Wolves won it and won it pretty convincingly 6-3. So... Are the Sudbury Wolves for real, Dan Mahar? Well, yes, the Sudbury Wolves are for real. They're a very good hockey team. Whether or not this was a showcase of exactly what we should expect at the end of the year, I'm not quite as convinced yet, just because we know how junior hockey works, Mike. Like, up and down. Uh, one team looks amazing one week and terrible the next. And a lot of things go into each game. Uh, travel. Uh, we know the Sudbury Wolves were dealing with some flu over the weekend. Uh, obviously didn't affect them as much against Saginaw. So it's a very impressive uh, outing for sure. But I wouldn't use it yet to anoint them the championships. But are they for real? Yes, I believe they've got a very deep roster. The additions look fantastic. Donovan McCoy on the back end has really anchored that crew. So I I, I think they've got as good a chance as not against any of these teams. Um, but we'll see. Because I, I think if they played each other again tomorrow night, it could be 6-3 Saginaw. It's a really good point, especially with hockey at this level. And it just takes me back to last year and coming into the playoffs. And even after the trade deadline, I was pretty hard and heavy on Sarnia North Bay. That was going to be the OHL final. And what did it end up being? London, Peterborough. So we all know what predictions will get you in this league and so many others. But I'll tell you what I like about the Sudbury Wolves, because you take a look at them and you're right, Dan, the additions made at the deadline have really turned out well for the club we know that 
the city is wanting it. The franchise is almost needing it after a half century of bupkis in the Nickel City, right? They have not yet been able to capture that elusive OHL championship. The closest, most recent was back in 07 when they won the East and then lost the final to the Plymouth Whalers. So you look at the Sudbury team this year and it's hard to not be tantalized and titillated, if you will, by the offense that this team puts up. And you look back over the games since Christmas, there have been 22 of them and the Wolves have won 16 of those games in regulation, two games going into uh, shootouts where they lose, but pick up the points. So that's points in 18 of those games since Christmas. They've got power play goals. And this, I think, is important to Sudbury's success. They've scored 20 power play goals in those 20 or in 20 games of those 22. They've had at least one power play goal, 28 overall for 88 since Christmas, which is a 31.8% clip on the power play. And that's a number that puts you right up there on par with the London Knights. Show me a good power play. I'll show you a good team. So the Sudbury Wolves absolutely have the offense chugging. If there's a concern, and we've talked about this before, it's of course at the other end. The Sudbury Wolves seem quite content to play some run and gun hockey with you. They will trade chances with you. And I think we saw that at its finest in an 8 7 shootout win over the Mississauga Steelheads a couple of weeks ago. So you have to wonder a little bit do they have the defense? to win a championship. They like to say defense wins championships and they have allowed Sudbury has 88 goals since the Christmas break. That's just over four per game, which is a hair above the season average, which is just below four per game. And then you look at the goaltenders and Jakob Vondras sits with a 3.69 goals against and an 8.63 save percentage. And Marcus Vandenberg, a 3.84 goals against and an 8.82 save percentage the mendoza line in the ontario hockey league usually around about 9 10 for save percentage so if you're sudbury maybe just maybe you're wondering about that side of the statistics but boy are they fun to watch yeah and you know mike that's why i gave a little pause when i talked about anointing them champions because we all know come playoff time you can't outscore bad defense and bad goaltending and i'm not saying they have bad defense and bad goaltending but they've had very inconsistent ability to keep the puck out of their net we know that those numbers you said just reflected that. So whether you want to pin this on the goaltenders or the defense or just the team philosophy is entirely up to you. But the bottom line is they're not keeping the puck out of their own net consistently enough for me to anoint them as a real playoff contender threat to go all the way. Having said that, you know, you and I both had them right at the top of the Eastern Conference this year. We love that offense. They're very dynamic. They they can really... Uh, crack up the goals in a hurry and you've seen those eight seven scores seven six all those things all year that's great that's entertaining that's formidable when you're playing against them but boy do they ever have to figure out how to keep it out of their net more consistently if they're going to be serious about it and i think that is a very valid concern and until we see for ourselves in the playoffs or coming down the stretch i i think for me i'd be concerned uh about picking them the power play is going so well, and that is absolutely critical because you need your power play operating at a high level when it comes playoff time. But your point is well taken, and I don't think anybody is surprised by this. Even if you're a diehard Sudbury Wolves fan, you got to be a little bit concerned with the ability to keep the pucks out of your own net. And I might look to Exhibit A 
in Brantford right now. We got to see Sudbury firsthand, and you mentioned that flu running through the team. Something was ailing the Sudbury Wolves on the weekend when we saw them against the Kitchener Rangers because they were a shadow of their selves that they were when they beat Kitchener up in Sudbury in early January, and they, they didn't look like the team that had come into Southern Ontario for a weekend swing like a buzzsaw. They did rebound on Family Day Monday with a 4-1 win in Guelph, and we'll get to the storm in just a moment. But you look at Brantford, they took advantage of that Sudbury loss on the Sunday of the long weekend, winning themselves. The Bulldogs have played one more game, but oh, looky here at the top of the Eastern Conference, you've got the same number of points for the Sudbury Wolves and the Brantford Bulldogs who have arrived early in that Eastern Conference and around the Ontario Hockey League. People were projecting them as a team that might come into its own next season or beyond. Yeah, and you know, when you look at the teams on paper, Mike, the, how they tend to play, they're actually similar teams. They're kind of heavy teams, like to play physical. Question marks in net, we'll say. I'm not I'm not saying they don't get the goaltending uh, sometimes, but it's consistency, right? So if you were to pick a potential Achilles heel for both teams, it might be that. Brantford, I would argue, has been getting a little more consistent effort over the last several weeks, and they're... They're making the most of the talent they have up front. They're still playing a heavy game and they're starting to get some saves too. But I would say that both those teams have the similar philosophy in terms of how they're going to win in the playoffs. It's just, can both of them get the saves they need when they need and, and keep that puck out of their net? And right now the answer for Brantford certainly is yes. That Eastern Conference is so much fun because right up there at the top, just lurking right behind both Brantford and Sudbury are the North Bay Battalion and the Oshawa Generals, for my money, a team that's still surprising and maybe arriving a wee bit early, but getting contributions from the places you need them and playing a pretty complete, tidy game of hockey. We'll get to Connor Lockhart a little bit later on this episode of the OHL podcast as well. Let's move over to the Western Conference, though, and I alluded to this a moment ago. Dan, you have the Guelph Storm in your crosshairs for the opposite reason that we're talking about the Sudbury Wolves. Those teams just having met on this family day as we record this episode, Sudbury wins and wins pretty handily, four to one. The Guelph Storm now in their past 10, one, seven, and two. Yeah, they're a puzzle to me a bit, Mike, because you look at, I mean, there's certain things that aren't puzzling. Losing Michael Bushinger, obviously a huge loss for that team, driving to play from the back end. But they got Cam Allen back, so there should have been a bit of a trade-off there. I know they were getting kind of all-world goaltending from Gillespie most of the year, so you started to worry, well, if they don't get that extra save or two a game, are they in trouble? I've watched this team a number of times, Mike, in the last month, and they don't look... They're not getting blown out. They're not They're not getting decimated. They look like a team with some structure. Just a little bit loosey-goosey. They're giving up that grade-A chance once or twice a period more than they need to, and they're not quite putting it together on, on the attack like they're capable of. Uh, that, that dynamism up front doesn't seem to be there. Some solo dashes, a lot of lost pucks on the rush. So they're not scoring enough, I, I would say, in general. And just finding finding ways to lose right now. Um, so I don't think all hope is lost there by any stretch. I think this is a team that could flick the switch pretty quickly because of that. They've got some veteran presence. They've got some ability. They're not getting killed. It's just they're on the wrong side of the ledger a lot right now. But it's got to be troubling for a team like that when you see the losses starting to pile up in this stretch because they're losing a lot of different ways right now, Mike, and it can't really be reassuring for that coaching staff. Yeah, and I might add to that 
that they're losing in ways that they were probably winning earlier in the season where they would win a whole lot of one goal games. That of course is testament to what you talked about with the sort of all world goaltending they were getting from Braden Gillespie who had played almost every game through the first 30 or so Damian Slavic hardly ever saw a start. Now you're starting to see more of Slavic as the team tries to find its way. I give them a little bit of a mulligan in the uh, Michael Poitra department, because I think that left them kind of, dangling in the breeze weren't sure what was going to happen does he come back does he not obviously we know that ship has sailed but you talked about goal scoring only 159 goals four scored by the Guelph Storm this season that's second lowest in the league only Peterborough has scored fewer so it's a tough spot and obviously the opposite of what we talked about with Sudbury if you're not scoring you're going to need that all-world goaltending. You're going to need things to go pretty much perfectly night in and night out in order to pick up victories. And the fulcrum is just kind of tipped in the other direction on the Guelph Storm. You mentioned Cam Allen coming back and then Bushinger going out. And yes, you've got two solid defensemen there. Obviously, you'd love to have them both in the lineup at the same time. But don't underestimate the impact that Michael Bushinger, the St. Louis Blues prospect, has on the power play. He's been missing now for 12 games. And over those 12 games, how about just three power play goals for the Guelph Storm? Their power play clipping along at a pretty pathetic, frankly, 5%. That's how much they miss Michael Bushinger as the quarterback on the power play. So in the Western Conference right now, where you've got some top-heavy teams in Sault Ste. Marie, Saginaw, London, etc. It is tough sledding when you can't score goals and the Guelph Storm just keep finding themselves on the, the wrong side of those results. The one win, I mentioned the, the goal scoring troubles, only scoring more than Peterborough. The one win in their past 10 for the Guelph Storm came against the Peterborough Peets, who also have just one win in their past 10 games. So I think that tells a whole heck of a lot of the story right now in the Royal City. Well, Mike, you know I'm a Habs fan, right? And the Guelph Storm kind of remind me a little bit of the Habs when you're not scoring enough and your special teams aren't functioning it's just the margin of error isn't there right so that one goal that ends up in your net or two goals in a game that end up in your net are critical they just you're not a Sudbury Wolves where oh we're down four let's score four you can't do that so those little things start to get in your head as well and and so it doesn't take much for the ship to start sinking and getting it back on track is tough when you don't have the firepower to just come out and steamroll a team so Step number one, you just referenced, they got to get the power play on track. 5% isn't going to do it. They got to get that net front presence, get some of those dirty, grimy goals. You see players like Nemesnikov bringing it every shift. They got some skill there. A guy like that's going to have to break through for them uh, consistently on the score sheet because if you don't score enough, it's really hard to break out of these things. So uh, I, I don't think, all, like I said, not all is not lost. They defend well enough. They have st enough structure that come playoffs that should work in their favor when the score is dropped. But but yeah, there's a, a few things they could work on right now to get out of this slump and getting a few more goals is one of them. So Sudbury's really rolling in the East. Guelph is really struggling in the West. Just a couple of the highlights from this past week in the Ontario Hockey League. Of course, I would argue one of the biggest questions, along with what we already answered, have the Sudbury Wolves arrived? Was it a statement win over Saginaw this past weekend? The other big question on fans' minds in the Ontario Hockey League is how many games is Sawyer Bolton going to be suspended for this time? The Knights' incredibly impressive run that 
we talked about last week, 23 games without a regulation loss, 21 victories, two shootout losses, uh, came to an end with a resounding thud on home ice when the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds came into Budweiser Gardens and laid an 8-2 whooping on the hometown Knights. But in the final five minutes of that game, Sawyer Bolton instigated a fight with Matthew Virgilio of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Bolton currently suspended indefinitely. He missed the other two games for the Knights on the weekend. Both of them wins over Owen Sound and Windsor. But again, the question remains, how many games will Sawyer Bolton be suspended for? You want to start on this one, Dan? Yeah, okay. I I know based on what I saw generally in the sphere of social media, some of the reaction from London and, and non-involved markets, I'm going to swim a little against the stream there. Lom said I didn't see the infraction. The other guy dropped his gloves first. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call shenanigans on that. I understand that Virgilio had a little bit of a bump on Bolton in front. He wasn't happy. It was an A2 game towards the end. And yes, Virgilio technically dropped the gloves first, but come on, that was a that was an aggressor. Bolton went right after him, a few glove punches to the head, a mauling. It was he wasn't giving him much chance there but to fight a young a younger, smaller player who's not a fighter. This is exactly the type of thing we don't want to see happening in the game. And I'm pretty sure the OHL has been serious about this for a while. So regardless of which gloves came off first, let's let's call it what it is. He was definitely the aggressor there. Third suspension, as you mentioned, in 32 games. Not a player that's there for any kind of hockey ability. I'll just call it what it is. Sure, maybe he can play a role. There's there's a role for that intimidation, physical play. That isn't it. That isn't it, going after a younger player in final minutes of a game like that. So... All a long-winded way of saying I'm not buying any of the excuses that this wasn't a big deal. It was it was a non-incident. It, I I think that that has to be a minimum of five games, Mike, and that's that's a floor for me based on the track record, the intent, the ability to make a decision other than in the heat of the moment there when he had a few seconds to consider it. All of those things and just the optics of of a player like that going after a player like that. For me, that's a floor. I could go a lot higher than that. I know it's unlikely to, and a lot of people are probably screaming at me saying, oh, come on, that was just a a, a, a fair fight at the end of the game. I, I disagree. I think you've got to send a bit, a bit of a message here. So that's that's my floor. I'm not sure how you feel about it. Well, you're absolutely right. It's a case of bullying, plain and simple. There, there's no other way to look at this other than to call it what it was, and that's bullying. There's There's one reason, okay? Can we just be clear about this? There's one reason, and one reason only, that Sawyer Bolton is on the ice with less than five minutes to go in an A2 blowout, right? And and Sawyer Bolton did exactly what he wanted and or was expected to do. I think that's the easiest way to sum this up. And so we all got what was expected when Bolton was put on the ice with less than five minutes to go in an A2 blowout. Look, I'm going to you might want to get comfortable for a second here, Dan, because I'm I'm a little bit hot under the collar on this one. And I'll tell you why. Let me start with a a shameless plug. So it was about a month ago and I was up in Sault Ste. Marie and I I do these weekly videos called Fridays with Farwell. There's the shameless plug. If you don't watch them, check them out on our YouTube channel. I would certainly appreciate the uh, attention paid to them. I just like to look at what's going on around the league. And about a month ago, while I was up in the Sioux getting ready for a game, I I took into account some things that have been happening in the league recently, which was a couple of London blowouts over the Kitchener Rangers. The the second of those games was just a complete gong show. And 
Bryce McConnell Barker at the time had not yet returned to play for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds after being knocked out of a game playing against the London Knights, during which the head coach of the Sioux Greyhounds had some pretty strong words to say about the kind of game the London Knights tried to play. So I put that into the video and all of a sudden, and I'm not kidding about any of this, uh, I was the, the London Knights PR firm of Payette LFP was set upon me to check with my employer if they condoned my anti-London Knights rant, which, first of all, the, the PR firm of Payette LFP didn't even know who my employer was. In case anybody's wondering, I work for Rogers Media. I host a talk show every day for four hours. I broadcast Kitchener Rangers games. I am thrilled to be associated with the Rangers. I have nothing but time for the team in the city where I grew up. They've been nothing but great to me over the years, but they don't sign my paychecks. And I would hope to never embarrass them. I, I hope that I didn't, but literally my job day in and day out is to generate conversation, just to, to, to have an opinion on things. And, and the opinion I shared on that video about a month ago was simply looking at things that had been said by coaches in the league, games that had been played by the London Knights. And I suggested that they played a very physical, in-your-face kind of smash-mouth style of hockey. They've got almost 900 penalty minutes so far this season. No other team even has 800 yet. Decide for yourself how you interpret those numbers. Nobody is calling players' names. Nobody is calling people out. Nobody is saying players are bad players or anything like that. We're just pointing out the style of play. And I suggested at the time that it's an antiquated style of play. You you used the words moments ago, Dan, that this is not the kind of activity or actions that the league wants in the game today. And we've seen that. Sawyer Bolton has already been suspended twice for a total of 12 games. He's missed two already on this latest indefinite suspension. It's an automatic two games if you instigate a fight in the final five minutes of a blowout. So look at it. 14 games suspended, only 32 games played. There's only one way to look at those numbers. Sawyer Bolton is brought in to play a certain kind of role. That's fine. It doesn't make him a bad person. I'm not saying anything about the kid. I'm just saying the numbers tell us a story. So to the London Knights, if this makes you want to put your PR firm out to go after people that make comment because you're uncomfortable with the commentary, then change the narrative yourself. Like this, I, I get circling the wagons. I get protecting your players. I get not wanting to have bad things said. Well, <laughs> the people are only pointing out what is painfully obvious here. And that is that you want to play a game with a physical edge, maybe walking right along that line, sometimes crossing over the line, the intimidation factor, it's obviously working. The Knights went on a 23-game unbeaten in regulation run, 21 wins, two shootout losses. We've already talked about that. Great. It works. If you don't like what people say or how it's being interpreted, you have the power to change it. I get so frustrated by this. Nobody's saying they're bad kids. Nobody's calling them names. Nobody's doing anything other than pointing out what's obvious to everyone. The numbers are there. I'm hearing at this point what we might end up with at this time of the season is a number of games suspended equal to the number of games remaining on the London night schedule. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think five would be getting off lightly in this case. Again, there's one reason 
And one reason only that Sawyer Bolton was on the ice with under five minutes to play in an eight two game where your team is losing. That's it. So I, I'm I'm waiting for my next message or my employer's next message from Payette LFP, the PR firm of the London Knights. Fine. Bring it on. If you don't like it, change it. You got it, just just change it. Because it's it's ridiculous. And and the league, by the way, by suspending Sawyer Bolton for his actions. And I'll point out, by the way, I defended him in that staged fight suspension with Jackson Stewart and Owen Sound. I thought that was a goofy suspension, but that's ancient history. If you don't like the narrative that's out there, just change it. It's that simple. Otherwise, like, you know, this is the way you've decided to approach the game this year. Good for you. It's working. That's great. Own it. Simple as that. I, I that was long. I send me an email. I don't. I don't care anymore. I'm so frustrated by this. I'm so frustrated by this. Yeah, well said, Mike. There's not a whole lot I can add to that. And I just the only thing I would add actually is we try and be fair. I try and take the biases and emotion out of these things and judge them for what they are. And I think, as you know, as a Kitchener Ranger uh, supporter and a Montreal Canadiens supporter, I love Arbor Jacki. One of my favorite players to come through in a long time he had a few blips on his record here where right away said you know you can't do that that's a suspension like you got to call it for what it is and i would argue that if that was arbor jack guy in a kitchen ranger uniform doing that exact same thing to that exact same player that would be my reaction you can't do that we don't want the league having optics like that of a player effectively bullying a, a smaller player who's not a fighter in a situation like that. And it, there is no excuse for that. And I would suggest that anyone, regardless of who you are, w- if you're being honest with yourselves, you, you'd acknowledge that too. The league can't have this type of thing happening. And Sawyer Bolton knows that. I'm sure he's a great kid, but he knows that. He knows you can't do that. And he knows when he does something like that, he's going to get suspended and based on the track record. So Mike, if that's what we're hearing, the suspension might be, I mean, I can't argue with that. I think that there's a track record that can't be in the game. I know no one was hurt. I know Virgilio dropped his gloves. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. But it's just not a good look for the league. It's not something anyone wants to see happening, regardless of what jersey they're wearing. Good on the league if they've come down hard on this. Well, and the league has already made it clear, again, by 14 games and counting, depending on if anything gets tacked onto the two games that have already been served. So 14 games in suspensions against 32 games played. The league is different now. You don't have to like it, and and that's fine. Again, London has proven they can be successful even with a player on their roster that's been suspended for almost half as many games as he's he's played this year. Fine, but don't don't shy away from it. Don't hide it. Nobody's nobody's calling names. Anybody. Nobody's saying that these are bad kids. We're just saying this is a style of play that has been brought back into the league. The league is saying we're not comfortable with this. Just look at the number of games of suspensions. And I guess we'll see where this one goes from here. How many more than two games will be added on? I'm sure we will find that out very early this week, if not by the time or the day that this episode drops. All right, uh, a quick break. We still need to talk about Connor Lockhart, whose eight-game suspension is over. Does the Ontario Hockey League need to consider some sort of long-term injured reserve to help teams that are struggling to get goaltending with not enough cards to sign players to and who is going to be the next commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League plus our prospects of the week still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast
Gary. Dan, we've talked about Sawyer Bolton and the suspension that is coming his way. We both anticipate it'll be much longer than the two games already served for that instigating of a fight in the final five minutes of a blowout. Connor Lockhart has served eight games. And in the opinion of the Ontario Hockey League's Hockey League, pardon me, eight games was enough time served for an off-ice incident that prompted a police investigation in Durham region for violating the league's and the team's, Oshawa General's, code of conduct. Lockhart is back. Oshawa is pushing for third place, even still within striking distance of first place in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, good news for the Generals. What do you make of what has transpired here? Well, my first take, as you know, on the podcast last week is always players need to think of their teammates whenever they do anything off ice. And we saw some impact to the generals of this incident over the last several games. They were on a, on a tear, not so much anymore. There's players coming into the lineup. There's all this distraction. So that's my first takeaway is that whenever you do anything off the ice, these players really need to think first. Specifically on Lockhart, uh, obviously we've all heard the rumors, but I don't want to share them here for obvious reasons. We don't know exactly what it was. The police concluded their their investigation without charges, so take from that what you will. But an eight-game team-imposed suspension, supported by the league, is, is serious. Think about in the context of the suspensions we just talked about. Eight games is a big chunk of the season, so obviously there was a code of conduct breach significant enough for this to, to be warranted. So whatever that that happened uh whatever happened let's just consider that it was significant enough bad enough that it impacted the the reputation of the player the reputation of the team and the on-ice results of the team so i think this is something that the team and lockhart himself are going to be thrilled to put behind them and move on and refocus but you can see how quickly things can go off the rails mike with these teenage hockey players when you know miss Bad decisions and mistakes are made off the ice. Uh, you never know. So always keep your wits about you. I'm really struggling with this one, Dan, for a couple of reasons. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I made this clear last week when we were talking about it, that what we have here is an investigation by Durham Regional Police. No charges had been laid. And we do follow along with the statute in this country that you are innocent until proven guilty. So in order for police to launch an investigation, a complaint has to be made. And that's what prompts the investigation. It doesn't mean anybody is guilty and a complaint is much different than a charge. So what we have now since learned, of course, is that Durham Regional Police are not pursuing the investigation any further. They consider the matter closed. In other words, there will be no criminal charges. And of course, just to bring you up to speed with our court system or criminal court system here in in Canada if the only reason a charge would be laid is if police believe there is a likelihood of a conviction because you don't tie up the court's time unless you believe this can be seen through to a conviction so this is where I start to struggle because given everything that's going on around hockey these days you hear about police involvement with a junior hockey player and I think your mind goes to one place and probably one place only. So no matter what happened, no matter what rules Connor Lockhart violated, in the minds of many, he was involved in one sort of activity that is illegal and charges have been brought for in the past. And in this case, no charges are brought. So the other way 
the other reason then that I struggle with this is was it necessary for the league in first letting fans know about this case to point out that Durham Regional Police had launched an investigation? And I think the league kind of gets stuck between a rock and a hard place here. I think I land on the side of admiring the transparency, because if they just say Connor Lockhart has been suspended indefinitely for a code of conduct violation, and then somebody finds out, or we learn through some other reporting that there's a police investigation, we're like, well, why wouldn't the league say that? Why aren't they being upfront about this? But this is the other side of it now where you're like, okay, but there were no charges. And now, again, Connor Lockhart's name is always going to be associated with something that is very unsavory and something that needs to change within the game of hockey. So I, I think the league handled this appropriately. Our minds are going to do what our minds are going to do. And the last point I'll leave you with is we have to accept and trust the investigations into this matter by police, by the Ontario Hockey League, by the Oshawa Generals. I'm willing to do that, but we know that in this day and age, faith in institutions is at an all-time low. Not many people trust police, not many people trust entities like hockey leagues, etc. And so you are unfortunately, but this is just a sign of the times, left to decide for yourself if you have faith in any of those various investigations that happen. It's a real tough spot. I feel bad. I really do. I feel bad for Connor Lockhart. Obviously, he did something suspension worthy, and I hope he is remorseful for that. I hope he has learned a lesson here. But I think the damage to the reputation is fairly significant too. And if it's okay for me to say I feel bad for him in that regard, then I'm saying that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I'm really not going to add a whole lot to that because the generals were in a tough predicament. You have your own, there are some things that have to stay between player and team. We know that their right to privacy, they're young players, et cetera, et cetera. But I think once the police are involved, it's to some extent out of their control. They have to wait till that comes out. And they had to probably disclose that. Otherwise, it looks even worse down the road if the police do pursue something and say, well, you kind of kept that from us. So again, not knowing what it is, uh, just a bad situation. Uh, hopefully, it's all behind everyone. No one was impacted too negatively by it. But always keep these things in mind, whatever you do. Yeah. And let's keep in mind, too, something that you said that really resonated with me. And that is, let's start modeling and, and holding up for our role modeling the good humanity, the great things that we hear about in this world, in this game, et cetera. And hopefully we start talking more and more about that. It's not to ignore the bad stuff. It's just that if we're role modeling the really good stuff, then maybe that's what we continue to try to emulate moving forward. Got a question from Greg uh, via Twitter, actually, or X at Farwell underscore OHL. Should the OHL have something like long-term injured reserve eerie's going through goalies like pucks because they're out of a cards maybe an exemption for goalies and greg of course is absolutely right with the injury to benjamin godreau there have been five other goalies used by the eerie otters ethan fraser has had a game bo porosky has had a game nolan lalonde has had four charlie burns has had six and Jacob Gibbons, the lion's share, at 16, all in trying to accommodate for the loss of Godreau. And once you get beyond that 10-game mark, of course, that's when the A card 
gets used. I, I think Greg might be on to something here, Dan. To every rule, there should be, I think, an exception for extraordinary circumstances. And these sound like extraordinary circumstances to me. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I'll start by saying that long-time injured reserve is really a construct of a salary cap function, right? It's to give a team relief to replace that player. So it's not exactly the same thing, but the principle that he's talking about in his email is very valid. We have to give these GMs a mechanism for emergency situations like this, to get them out of a situation where they just can't find a guy, they're running out of cards, they don't physically have the tools available to them to rectify the situation. It shouldn't be a situation any of these teams have to deal with, but I just want to give a few background context facts here for people that equate this to the, to the National Hockey League or pro hockey. It's very, very different where in pro hockey, you can get a player signed under contract. You can pluck from wherever you need to and pull that player in on a contract. And there's not a lot of barriers in your way. Junior hockey functions effectively like minor hockey, where you have various different hockey organizations. These players are all signed there. These rules are in place to protect those teams and those organizations from losing players and having those teams be in emergency situations. So you can't just take, uh, have any team go to any junior B, tier two, junior C, you name it, any of those teams and just take their starting goalie for an indefinite period. That's why these rules exist. Those, those organizations, those teams are not beholden to the OHL in the same way the AHL would be to the NHL. So it's a very different situation. A lot of comp complexity complications. Having said that, I do think there is room here for some sort of emergency provisions around the card. So it may still be a lot of work for the general manager to go find goalie A for five games, goalie B for six games and do those kinds of things. At very least, we cannot punish him for using up those cards. Doing all that legwork to just make sure you have two goalies for a game is a lot of work. Let's not complicate it further by making the GM, in this case, Dave Brown and, and Erie, having to trip over himself trying to convince the league he what's he supposed to do dress one of his players again so i i think we want to just be reasonable here and, and give them some kind of out for these situations maybe it comes with a medical report that says yeah this guy can't go uh there's there's a reason here why we need to do this but yeah don't don't tie the hands behind the back when the feet are already tied let's give him something to work with here yeah of course sherry bassin famously dressed connor crisp for a game in Niagara many, many years ago. Connor's been on the podcast, by the way. You can go back and listen to the episode. It's uh, it's quite the story. And the bright side is they made some money for charity selling Connor Crisp number one t-shirts at the next Erie Otters game. But it's not a situation that anybody wants to find themselves in. Frankly, as you've already alluded to, Dan, Dave Brown has far better things to do with his time than go through these gymnastics to try to get goaltenders so that you're not dressing a player heaven forbid and not burn cards that you don't have so i think the point you made around in exceptional circumstances and you can figure out what the parameters are around those circumstances but don't punish by use of a card a team that is in desperate need of finding goaltending when something like this happens it to me greg you're onto something here great question and let's hope this comes up at the Board of Governors meetings this offseason under the new commissioner, and they can maybe figure out a way forward because this is a really tough situation for the Otters to be in, and, and I think some sort of exemption would make a lot of sense. Real quick on that point, and the reason I mentioned who is going to be the next commissioner uh, just before we got into this second segment of the OHL podcast this week is because 
it was a conversation that came up uh, around Peterborough when I was there on Family Day Monday. And let me put it to you this way. I mean, I, I don't know for certain yet who is going to be the next commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League. What I, what I am confident in saying with certainty is that it's not going to be any of the people you think it's going to be. And if I can just leave that as not being too cryptic, I, I just, unless you're thinking of someone that I've not thought of before, but I, I think there are some familiar names that have been kicked around and I'm fairly confident in saying it won't be any of those names that have been kicked around. And I'll just leave that right there. But I, I think there's a real opportunity here. And I'm, I'm curious, based on what I'm hearing, what direction the league is going when it comes to the new commissioner. Are we going to get something completely out of left field? <clears throat> a woman, why not? Like I just, I don't know. But I think we might find ourselves, I think it's likely we will find ourselves surprised when that announcement is made. I don't know what you're hearing in this regard, Dan, but it was a lot of fun while we're eating popcorn in the media room in Peterborough this weekend. <laughs> Whenever you have a job opening at this of this magnitude, at this level, the search committee always has a few criteria that they're looking for in a candidate and they prioritize certain things. And it sounds like those priorities may have shifted from, I would say the last time they had a search like this, but when was that the 1600s or something? So it's probably not even relevant, but there is obviously a, a set of criteria they've set aside. And it'll be really interesting to see based on the candidate who is selected, what those criteria were. All right. Time for us to get to our, prospects of the week who you got for us this week Dansky I had a tough time because I had about five or six names Mike all of whom were probably worthy I, I ended up landing on a guy playing on those Sudbury Wolves who I think is kind of flying under the radar right now um, and could be a very good pickup for an NHL team and that's that's Nathan Villeneuve and the reason I chose him Mike is is finally got to see him play a number of times in the last little while heard great things about him coming into the OHL as number three overall pick lot of skills in his toolbox we'll say uh but kind of reminds me a little bit of Owen back in some ways same setup on the draws strong skater good wide stance can do the 200 foot game a little bit of physicality there got some finish uh can play make he kind of all around package is not going to necessarily blow you away in any one skill set but pro game written all over him you watch him play just pro game pro game yeah that guy's going to play pro somewhere and just 17 years old in this league, Mike, flying, I, I believe, around low 50s now, ranked in Central uh, central Scouting's rankings for North American skaters. So, you know, fourth fourth round-ish in terms of where he might be picked right now. I think that's going to be a steal if he goes there. I expect him to ascend the ranks and be picked a fair bit higher than that on draft day, Mike. But who you got? It's so interesting here because I felt like I was so biased coming into this episode. I had wanted to talk about the Sudbury Wolves because of how they're playing. And I, too, had a, a bunch of names, you know, bouncing around Zane Parekh among them, but too easy. Right. And I also went back to the Sudbury Wolves. And for a second here, I thought we were going to have the same guy, but we don't. This one a, a little further off the radar maybe than Nathan Villeneuve, but I'm going with Kieran Walton. The hat trick, his second career hat trick came on Friday night 
versus the Saginaw Spirit. And that's why he, he also picked up an assist on the weekend. So a four-point weekend in three games for the draft-eligible forward from Sudbury. And I just like when guys rise to the occasion. And frankly, if you're scoring three in what was arguably the biggest game late in the season for the Sudbury Wolves, I'm going to give you a nod. I'm not saying he's a top three round guy, but I'm saying Kieran Walton is a draft eligible prospect that absolutely caught my attention this weekend. And for that reason, he is my prospect of the week. So the Sudbury Wolves getting a lot of love this week on the pod. I don't know. I, I don't even get to go back there this year. Come on. Well, I see the New York Rangers this week dressing two six foot eight forwards on the fourth line. So there's there's a place for the the Waltons in the near future, I think, when you got that kind of size going in your favor already. But I don't want to diminish him to just his size. Obviously, there's some scoring ability there as well. And uh, so, yeah, uh, another player I expect will hear his name in the NHL draft for sure. Speaking of Sudbury and being North, I just wanted to add one more thing before we wrap up this week. And I I talked about at the beginning of this episode, how much I love going to Peterborough and all the history there and just the great experience. It really was from the time we arrived at the arena until the time we left this coming weekend, I get to make my second trip to the Sioux. And I, I just wanted to bring up Sioux St. Marie again. I mean, some of the finest folks you're going to find in this league work up there are around that team uh it's it's just a terrific community it's a hike to get there and look the the city's had its its hard knocks since you know big industry left and it's trying to find its footing but what a great place to be and some of the fans i ran into in peterborough this weekend said they've only got one rink left now to knock off their list and that's sault saint marie go get to a game in sault saint marie experience major junior hockey in the sioux you know, think of the people that we've had on this podcast before. Craig Hartsburg, who goes up there, you know, Stratford boy, plays, goes back to coach, and now still keeps a home there. He winters in warmer places, but he loves the Sioux. Uh, Jason Denemy, who's been on this podcast, now living down east where he finished his hockey career and started some coaching, but says anybody who gets the chance, go up to the Sioux, try it out. Players that go there to play, uh, Wayne Gruel comes to mind, end up staying because it's that kind of place it there really is something special about it i can't wait to get back up there this weekend and i just wanted to emphasize that this week on the podcast if you haven't been get there for a game and if you're there i'm sure you know how lucky you are in the sioux that the the greyhounds are the big game in town and it's just there's something special don cameron always talked about the the calm and tranquil north and there's there's something about that northern hospitality that really comes through when you're in Sault Ste. Marie. So I can't wait to get back up there this weekend. And I, I wanted to share that because it really, as I was already looking forward to it, I had an extended chat. I was almost late for broadcast on the weekend when I got into a chat with a scout who I haven't spent much time talking to in the past. And it just was this really nice exchange. And later on, I found out, oh, he is originally up from the Sioux area. No wonder he's such a personable guy. And we got to have such a great chat. So you Sioux people keep being Sioux people because uh, we appreciate you for that. So there you go. That, that's a lot. I went off earlier and now I'm playing Mr. Nice Guy. I, it's like I'm Jekyll and Hyde over here, Dansky. Cheapers creepers. Can I just bring the whole conversation full circle and say classic uniforms there too. So Sue, don't go all black for any of these games that uh, keep it as is. I would appreciate that as well. Okay, that guy over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell, at Farwell underscore OHL. Please 
give us a like, subscribe, uh, leave a review, tell us what you think about things, tell a friend about this podcast, send an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. We will be back in your ears next Tuesday on the OHL Podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.